We are on the five G's of harvest. Uh, the five traits that uh, do, are to dominate the life of a disciple in Christ. And uh, the five G's are about what we're trying to do here at Harvest, folks. If you want to know what Harvest is about, um, five G's. That's what we're about. We're held up by four pillars that we talked about last month, and we're talking on the five G's right now. And actually, next week, we're going to start on the three W's. This whole fall is just a reminder of uh, what we're about and who we are and how we go about doing that. Today is the fifth G, grateful. Are you grateful? Are you grateful that we're talking about grateful? (laughs) Excellent. Hey, Colossians chapter 2, are you there? Okay, Colossians chapter 2, let's pick up, uh, let's read a verse, a couple verses that we've actually spent some time in already uh, this month, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. I purposely, in our time in the past, have not read the last few uh, words in this verse uh, because of today. Let's start in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, I trust that you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. I trust that you've come to a place in your life where you don't just know about God. You're just not aware of God. You just don't even think there's a God. You don't even, uh, it's more than just believing in the Bible, but literally come to a place in your life where there is a God and I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And you've come and driven the stake in the ground and received Christ as your Savior. I trust that's the case. If that's the case for you, that's the starting point. That's not the golden ticket to the end point only. It's the starting point. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. And we talked about that. It's a present continuous active verb there. It's something that we're to be doing all the time. Hey, you're growing in Christ a year ago. Fantastic. You're growing in Christ five years ago. Wonderful. You're growing in Christ last month. Wonderful. But listen, what about today and tomorrow? That's the idea. It's presently, actively, continuously, and it's an imperative. You must be walking in him. And verse 7 describes it, rooted in him, built up in him, and established in the faith as you were taught. And then the last three words, abounding in thankfulness in the version that I have. Abounding in thankfulness. By the way, not just a little bit of thankfulness. Not just like a tweak of it. Not just like, hey, every so often I have some thankfulness, but abounding in it. It carries the idea of excelling in it. Like, what are you good at? Oh, it should be, I'm so, humbly, I'm so good at gratefulness. (laughs) And it's like, what's that person good at? I'm telling you, that is one grateful person. That's what this is talking about. The New International Version, I believe, has it as overflowing in gratefulness. It just doesn't ooze out of you as we talked about graciousness but gratefulness is to pour out of you and out of me i don't know about you but i struggle to be that i think we all struggle to be that gratefulness i want to state it this way gratefulness is a watershed issue it's a watershed issue what do i mean by that well, uh, just kind of image, maybe the, uh, the rain is coming on a roof and it's just pouring down and, and the water is rushing down that roof and, or, or a river that's just filled with water and it's rushing down and it hits a, a watershed point. It hits something that diverts it. And depending upon where that water hits, determine where that water goes. Gratefulness is a watershed issue. Uh, Where you hit on that uh, determines what it is. Doug, do you have a verse that proves that? Because we just don't want to hear what you have to say. 
But we're about the Bible, aren't we? After all, this is Harvest Bible Chapel. That's right. So let's do that Romans chapter 1 because absolutely I do. Romans chapter 1. Turn there. Romans chapter 1. This is a chapter that is all about the depravity of mankind. Doug, I don't like to talk about the depravity of mankind because that's depressing. No, no, no. Understand this. Until you understand the total depravity of mankind, you don't understand the total grace of God. Because if you just see that we're little sinners, here's the deal. You only need a little God. But when you come to the place, when you really understand at the heart of things, I am a totally depraved sinner before God. That means I need a great big giant God. Okay, in Romans chapter 1, if you want to know who we really are at the heart of things in this self-esteem, just loving yourself world, go to Romans chapter 1 and, and consider what it has to say. Let's look at a couple verses here. Verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and right, unrighteousness of men. In other words, God doesn't like unrighteousness, right? All the wrath of God is unleashed on it. Let's just jump down. We're going to be here just for a minute. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their body among themselves, and so on. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. That's so sad. Say sad. That's the sad story. That's the sad, sad story. Uh, but on the sad, sad story, there's a wonderful story that God does. Verse 28, this continues to describe the depravity. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. What? That's more sad. Do you realize that? God comes to a place and he's like, I'm giving them up. Wow, I don't want that, God. No, no, no. God gave them up. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Look at this. Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Oh, stop. (laughs) I got the point. It's sad, isn't it? But I just want to let you know at the heart of it, that's every one of us. So before we get too haughty about the, I'm so glad that's not me, understand this. Romans chapter 1 saying at the heart of it, this is every one of us. How do we get to that point? Look earlier in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him how interesting is that how interesting is that when 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 the scripture is is laying out the uh, the the reality the sad reality of where we are without the lord in a total depraved situation it, it says watershed issue you may have known god but you did not see god as god And you weren't thankful. Gratefulness is a watershed issue. It is just key and core. And sometimes I think we picture it as kind of like, that's a nice little add-on or that's the icing on the cake. No, 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 understand. This is the base of the cake. This This is at the core of it. A heart of ungodliness is founded off of a heart of ungratefulness. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve in the garden. What was the deal? I want more. I deserve more. I deserve to know more. 
wait a second. You're in the Garden of Eden. God walks with you. And at the heart of it, great ungratefulness is there. The Exodus. God delivers the people from Egypt. They're out there. And after how long? Not very. They're out there like building a cow of gold. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe just like did his zampow wham in your lives. And that fast you thought, he's out. I'm just going to tell you, friends, in my heart and in our heart, one of the things we struggle with is being a grateful people. And we need to get after it in increasing ways together. Increasing ways together. Because at the heart of godliness is gratefulness. Is gratefulness. Hey, have you noticed that we, lived in a, we live in an ungrateful world? Oh, wow. Um, Samuel Leibowitz, criminal lawyer and judge, saves 78 men from the electric chair. He's recorded as saying, not one of the 78 men ever came back and thanked him. That reminds me of another story. Luke 17, Jesus goes, he heals 10 lepers. Well, back in that day, being a leper... Uh, you're in bad situation. He heals 10 lepers. <laughs> one of them comes back and says, thank you. Just one. Uh, oh, that would make sense. He would have, Jesus would have better odds than Samuel Leibowitz. I, I can see that. But here's what Jesus says in Luke 17. <laughs> We're not 10 cleansed. Where's the other nine? I want for you to know this. It matters to our Savior. He's there and he's like, wow, one? Seriously? One? What's with the other nine? And I ask myself, how often am I like the other nine? Honestly, gang, uh, ungratefulness is just ugly. When we're ungrateful, we're demanding. And the enemy loves it when we put a lid on our gratefulness he loves it it's elusive and we fight it because you and i have an entitlement mindset i deserve more and i don't deserve that that's where it starts at that, that's what's going on in the reality of it it's just this fact we're so horizontal in fact i'll say this maybe to little shocked for you to think about this, but I think in American church today, there's an immense amount of Christian narcissism going on. We just love ourselves. We just think we're so awesome. You know, it's kind of the whole thing of serve me. I mean, make me feel good. Uh, my preference should be the preference. Uh, make my thing your thing. And in fact, my thing should be the entire church's thing. It can become so me-centered. I thank you for being a grateful people. I thank you for being a grateful people. Because Harvest, you have been. You have been. But if I could go back to Colossians 2, 6, and 7. May it remind us that what we were last week, last month, last year, 
while that is a great pattern to what the future could be, I would call us to this. We need to be that even increasingly so. We need to be the kind of people that they look over at that church and they look over at those people and go, I don't know what those people are doing. I don't know what they're drinking over there, but those folks are grateful. That should be us, increasingly so. Grateful, 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 grateful. Shouldn't we? Should we be more grateful? Yeah, we should. And we want to work on that. We want to be that kind of people pressing ahead. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go look at the Psalm, Psalm 107, and take a look at what it looks like to be an increasing way. Before we go there on the screen, I want to put another key statement up here. Grateful disciples of Jesus Christ have miraculous stories to tell. You want to be grateful? Then you need to be pulling up the miraculous God stories in your life the grace stories in your life. And you need to be not only just knowing them, but the second part of that is grateful disciples of Jesus Christ have miraculous stories to tell and they tell them. They tell them. And not just think them, but speak them. We trump the pain with vertical gratitude. Hear me. We are not a people that deny the pain. We aren't. In fact, of anybody on the planet who understands pain, the follower of Christ should. Because we know where it all comes from. We know what's going on in life. And so this is not the kind of thing where it's like, ignore the pain, just gloss over the pain, just iso. No, no, no. In the pain, know it, feel it. It's the reality of the situation. Life hurts at times, doesn't it? Like big time. But here's the thing. In the pain, there's something bigger. There's something better. There's something that trumps the pain. That in the hurt of it, in the lostness of it all, there is a great, big, awesome God at work. And what we do too often is we end up seeing the pain above our solution. And then what we do is we redefine the solution, i.e. God, in light of our pain. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. Where is God? He's checked out. Listen, in the pain, we want to see a great, big, awesome, beautiful God at work, even in the hurt. Even in the hurt. Let's go to Psalm 107. You there? Sweet. I'm so grateful you're there. Let's read the first three verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Yeah. For his steadfast love endures how long? Let the redeemed of the Lord what? Say it. Say so. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm just emphasizing here. I got you off track. That was my bad. Uh, I'm just, in it, it's the kind of thing, understand, see in the text, it's not just know it, it's not just ponder it, it's not just sit back and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But say it, verbalize it, proclaim it, we declare it. That's what the people of the Lord are to do. Uh, by the way, verse two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. That's a big deal. Because the people who can speak of the redemption of the Lord know trouble. 
We know trouble, but we know the answer to trouble. We know the one over trouble and uh, whom the redeemed of the Lord has redeemed from trouble and gathered from uh, all the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, from the south. Hey, everybody's one of those directions in here from Avon, Indiana. Here we are gathered together. We're all either we come from the past, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, right? That's all of us all together. By the way, how beautiful it is that God's people come together. So first three verses, what are the redeemed of the Lord to do? Verse one, give thanks. We give thanks to the Lord. Uh, They know that God is good and his love endures forever. And so they say it, we proclaim it. Now, who of the redeemed uh, are to say and proclaim and declare it? Everybody, all of us. Why are the redeemed uh, from everywhere to say it? Because we know trouble and we know God working redemption in our trouble. And so we can be the people that say so. Why do you say so? Because I've been there so. Some contextual setting um, before we get into the rest. Psalm 105 emphasizes the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. Psalm 106 emphasizes God's long-suffering care of his people Here in Psalm 107, it focuses in on the Lord's redemption of the nation from captivity in Babylon. I bring this up because what we're about to enter into is not about cartoon people, okay? This isn't about kind of image people or a parable of just imagine if there were, understand what we're about to read is coming from out of the lives of real people. We do real life and we seek to be real people doing real life and By the way, I think we can learn from people who have gone through life in the past. And so that's what we're doing here. Uh, This is a psalm. This is really a song. And it's telling of life experiences in the text. Uh, And in Psalm 105 and 106, there's all kinds of word talking about uh, where they've come from. They've come from slavery and adversity and trouble and distress and misery and affliction and destruction, oppression and sorrow. I've known those. You've known those. Again, I bring all this up because what we're about to read is not a story from the past that's irrelevant. What we're about to read is about real people that we can relate to and understand. Verses 4 through 32 is four sections. It's kind of think of a song, four verses in a song. No, I'm not going to sing this. I definitely do not have that gift. Um but each of these four verses have a common flow. And so what I'm going to do here is we're going to build the text up on the screen as we go through this so you can see it in four sections. Because basically it's telling about some people and their situation. And then it tells what they do. And then it tells what God does. And then it tells what comes out of it all. I love those stories. And so here's four of them. And we're going to see the pattern flow. By the way, grateful disciples of Christ have miraculous stories to tell, and they tell them. Okay? Let's start. Verse 4. We're going to start and go across each one of these four sections, and we'll uh, work them all together at the same time. Verse 4. Some wandered. Uh, Go from verse 4. Take a look at 10. Some sat. Look at verse 17. Some were, 
Verse 23, some went. The sums start each of the verses, okay? Just so you kind of know if you want to circle that, keep that in mind. That's where we're going. That's the start of each core uh, part of the verse. So let's go to verse 4 and 5. Let's get a feel for what's going on with these people. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. A bad situation. In fact, uh, can you say pain? That's what's going on here. Real pain. Uh, This was a long and dangerous road from Babylon to Judah. And these people were on this road. It was dangerous, it was long, and it was hard to work its way. And some of them got lost. I'll say this, it wasn't their fault. It wasn't necessarily their fault. It was just a hard journey, a confusing journey, and a dangerous journey. And some of them got lost in it. Uh, Some were hungry and thirsty, and it says fainting away. By the way, can you imagine being on a trip and, and, and parents, adults, you get hungry and thirsty? Like, I've been hungry, but I haven't been like starving Marvin. I'm about to die hungry, in all honesty. I may have said that to my wife at some times that I'm about that, but I've never been there. These guys were. Can you imagine then your kids with you? And little Johnny and little Sally are there and starving and thirsting to death, literally. I'm telling you folks, that's pain. And that's what was happening. We might describe these people in this first story as they lost their way. They had lost their way. And I don't think it was because they were sinful or because they were foolish. They just lost their way. Second group, let's go to verse 10. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurred the counsel of the Most High. That's very important. So he bowed their hearts down to the hard labor. They fell down with none to help. This is interesting because this is actually one where we see people where they had been disobedient to the Lord. And God disciplined them. He's disciplining them all the way to the point of slavery. That's what's showing here. And that was the reality of the day. Can you say pain? That's pain. I haven't experienced that like that. And here they are, these folks who had been disobedient and in their, in their rebellion, it resulted in lost freedom. Having no freedom is tough. Just real quick, I was on a trip overseas years and years ago actually over into Russia and was over in the country. And um, all of a sudden, this is the closest thing I've ever felt to where my freedom was totally gone. It was over in Russia and all of a sudden through the process, we had taken a train through Poland, the night train. It had just changed in a situation where you didn't have to stamp your passport. The only problem was is they didn't tell the people at the airport that. And so I was in Russia, not with a stamp that I was checked into Russia and that usually means like, I don't know, in my mind, concentration camp or something like that. And I, it came about that I could very possibly be in a situation where I might not be able to be re- released for over a month. And I just remember going, this isn't fair. <laughs> and, and I didn't do anything wrong. But that removal of freedom for me, honestly, in my life was one of the first times where I couldn't do a thing. And God worked and got it all taken care of through some people and communication. But I got to tell you, for like about 12 hours, 
I, my freedom's gone. Uh, it's stunning. It's stunning. But can I also say this? Sometimes maybe for some of you, you may be in a place where because in this, this is out of rebellion, disobedience to the Lord. When we do what's wrong, we lose freedom. At times God does discipline us. And when we lose opportunities to do things because of our sinful choices, um, that's no fun. It's no fun. Let's go to the third one, verse 17. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquity suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Uh, This is the situation where what was going on is some of them had been disobeying God's laws actually on how to live and what and what not to eat. You know, it's kind of the thing of uh, I want to eat what I want to eat. But God had put in place some things for them not to eat for very specific reasons. And many of them were for their good. And they were disobedient. Nope, I want the Big Mac. And they ate and ate and actually their health went bad. And many of them began to die because they chose not to follow God's standards of even their health. That's actually what this is referring to here. They are suffering for their folly and they lost their health. By the way, in the scriptures over and over again, it talks about health, not just from a physical standpoint, but it uses the physical picture of health health to represent the spiritual condition of a person in their life. And I also say at times there's a very similarity to this. When, when we don't live God's way, um, we get spiritually unhealthy. And it's not a good condition to be in. Fourth one, uh, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business in the great waters. By the way, uh, the Jews, especially in that day, were definitely not known as being seafaring people. Uh, they were like me. I just We were not made to be out on the ocean, folks. Uh, that's just, that's wrong. Uh, I'm glad that uh, uh, you go on a cruise, but I'll just stay home. Love you. Not my passion. Someone down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters, and they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind. He lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. I love that. Then at your wit's end, uh, these are folks that are out on the ocean, scared to death because a huge storm comes along and they think they're going to die. It wasn't caused by them. It wasn't caused by the sailors running the boat. It just came up in God's providence. And they think they're going to die. And they had lost all hope. Have you ever been in a place where you just have lost hope? I'll tell you, it's a scary place to be in. Let's just look at these for for a moment. People who, some had lost their way, some had lost their freedom, some had lost their health, some had lost their hope. The outside two really are not because of disobedience, are not because of sin. The inside two uh, are in these particular situations because of their sin. I want to clarify one thing, by the way. Uh, Bad health does not mean that I've sinned and God has given me bad health, okay? We're not talking about that, and I hope you understand that. We're talking about situations, though. We're both in physical and spiritual health where because we make bad choices in life, sometimes those things do come about. But in the process, can you relate to being lost? Can you relate 
to having your freedom taken away? Can you relate to having your health or your spiritual health taken away? Can you relate to the reality of being lost with no hope? I think all of us can in certain aspects. It's not a great place to be in. So what does the song go to? Is this like uh, my, my dog's dead, my truck is beat up, and I have no hope? No, let's keep on going here and just follow this through quickly. So what does a person do that's lost their way? Look at verse 6. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What does a person do when they've lost their freedom? Verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What does a person do when they've lost their health, whether it be physical or spiritual health? Verse 19, then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. What does a person do when they've lost their hope? Look at the text, verse 28. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. It's so intriguing, and every one of these, the action of the person needs to come to the same place. Cry to the Lord. God, I'm at my end. No hope. I'm doomed. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't want it. Whether it's because I'm a fool or whether it's because just in the sovereignty of your plans, I'm in a place, I need your help. To cry out to the Lord takes a lot of humility, by the way. Have you noticed in your own life at times where it's kind of like, I don't want to go before the Lord because it's just like, I just don't want to admit I'm a loser. But that's what happens here. I mean, I give you the hope of this. The Lord hears. He hears. In, in the distress of all, folks, he hears. Uh, he hears. He's aware. He, he knows your social security number and who you are. And he understands where you are and what's going on. He hears, he cares. So what did God do as a result of their crying out? Uh, look at verse 7. For the lost... Uh, those who had lost their way, he led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. That's what I want. When I'm lost and I'm trying to find home, even if it's a situation where spiritually it's just like you're lost and you're looking for God and it's like, where are you? And he's like, let me lead you home. Let me lead you home. How sweet is that? If you've lost your freedom, look at verse 14. He brought them out of darkness. He brought them out of the shadow of death. I love the last part. He burst their bonds apart. Boom! He broke them. When you're in the shackles of sin, you've lost your freedom, you're hurting. It's like, what do you want? You want someone to bust it all up. And God can do that. Look at then at the health, lost health. Verse 20, he sent out his word, that's cool, and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. Delivered. Uh, Then lost hope, verse 29 and 30. He made the storm be still. Hey, I'm out on the water and a storm comes up. There's one thing I want. Stillness. Still it up. Uh, And look what happened. He made the water still. And look at the next statement. And the waves of the sea were glad. How cute. Now we're getting cartoon, but the image here is just like, and the waves were like, and now the waves went from that, and now the waves are happy, and it's just glad, and the waves are glad that the waters were quiet. 
and he brought them to their desired haven. By the way, can I make sure here at this point and understand this that in our theology, God is not your magic gumball machine. That's not what this is talking about. When I made mention about the Christian narcissism going on today, it's kind of the thing, I'm at the center and God is here to do my bidding. That's not at all what Psalm 107 is talking about. In fact, in the reality of it is, those who were lost on their way, uh, many died. Don't get the picture that everyone who cried out to the Lord, if you will, was all of a sudden star-trekked all of a sudden to their home base. But pain was still there. Those who had lost their freedom, many of them died in slavery over the years. Those who had lost their health, many of them died as a result. Those who had lost their hope, in fact, if you read the text, you'll kind of get the idea that it's very possible that some people died on that boat during the storm. God is not my magic gumball machine. We're not saying that. Put a quarter in, a prayer a quarter in, and God will just, bing, make your life happy. That's narcissism. This is about giving glory to God through it all. So what, uh, what are all these people to do as a result of what God has done? Look at verse 8. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Look at verse 15. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Look at verse 21. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Look at verse 31. Guess what that's doing? Yep, same thing. Let them thank the Lord. Do you see a pattern here, what's going on on the board, by the way? Here's where the verse is going. I'm in trouble. Cry out to the Lord. God showed up. Thank you, God. That's Psalm 107. Doug, why did it take you so long to get to that? I hope you can see it on the board in your text. That's the story. Oh, by the way, the story's not over. Just the last couple little verses here. Look for the lost on their way, verse 9. Uh, thanking the Lord, verse 9, then says, For he satisfies the longing soul. Hey, I have no idea in this room. Maybe in this room, there's a person right now who would say, my soul is longing for an answer. My soul is looking and longing for something. I just want to let you know, the Lord's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things, sweet things. Look at verse 16 for the, those who lost their freedom. For he shatters the doors of bronze. That's what I want if I'm in, in jail and cuts into the bars of iron. I'm loving that. What happens for those who had lost their health? Verse 22, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. And look at verse 32. Here's the kicker. Let them extol him. I love that. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people. Congregation of people. Oh, yeah. That's like us, isn't it? Let them extol him in the congregation of his people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Hey, we need to do that. I can't read a passage like this and not do that. That would just be wrong on my part. 
Okay, we're supposed to be that kind of people. Now, a lot of you are wigging out. Like, is Doug going to do something freaky on me? I don't know if you think this is freaky or not, but I don't think so. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to extol the Lord together for a moment. All of us, by the way. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it in such a way that we go back to the cross. This is all about coming back to the cross. Uh, gratefulness is a watershed issue. And ultimately, it ends up at the cross for you and I. I mean, it, without the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the work he's done, we'd have no opportunity to be able to receive his gift of forgiveness and salvation. It all comes back to that. And, and I just, do we realize how fantastic that is? How redeeming that is? How wonderful that is? Listen, that, that's what it's about. That's why gratefulness is a watershed issue. Oh, God, thank you for what you've done. So here's how we're going to do it. Four different categories. Let's go on the next one. I want to ask this question. Which one of these four, for you personally, and everybody's going to be involved, don't worry, we're going to do it all together so you won't be weirded out. Here on these four, um, let me read them. I thank the Lord because I had lost my way, but he returned me. Man, I'm looking around and I'm just going, there are some in this room that the Lord's redeemed in this last year. And yet maybe even for you, you look at that and you're like, man, in my life right now, I lost my way. But the Lord's returned to me. Uh, maybe for you, it's a second one. I lost my freedom, but he freed me. Maybe just being in a place where you're just caught in sin and you're beginning to see the freedom the breaking out that the Lord can bring in your life. Maybe it's the third one. I thank the Lord because I had lost my health. And it may be physical health. It may be spiritual health. It may be the result of sinful choices you had made and consequences out of that. But then the reality is because of what the Lord has done, he's delivered me. Doesn't mean I'm like on easy street. I'm just telling you, he's done a work in my life and he's delivered me. Or maybe it's the fourth one. I thank the Lord because I had lost all hope. Oh, I'm going to tell you, that's probably one of the darkest places ever to be, where you've lost all hope. But what did he do? You tell me. Hey, listen, when you've lost hope, you're all churned up. And you're all in a tither. And the thing you want is the peace and the hope and the knowledge that it's going to be okay. I'm not saying there's no more pain, but I am telling you this. It's going to be okay. He's got it all in his hands. Which one's for you? Here's what I want to do. If the first one's for you, will you stand? Seriously, will you just stand? If, if the first one's for you and... and uh, or then you're going to stay standing and then others are going to stand as we do each one. So by the end, everybody's got to stand or else then I, I, otherwise I will embarrass you. No. But if the first one's, if the first one's for you, could you do this? Could uh, all together, don't, by the way, don't tell me this, okay? Don't tell me this. I'm a part of this congregation. W would you say the, I thank the Lord because I had lost my way, but he returned me. Say it with some passion and, and say it not just so that the person next to you can hear, but the congregation can hear. And let's savor the moment, okay? You ready? Here we go. Go. I thank the Lord because I had lost my way, but he returned me. 
Man, you started off way better in the first service. Wait, stay, stay standing. If the second one was like really for you, if you're like, man, I'm telling you, that's just, that's where I'm at. Would you stand? Just go ahead and stand. And for the second one then, would, would, would you just enter in, just, just second people, people. Uh, would you do that? Ready? Here you go. Go. I thank the Lord because I lost my peace. Mm. Oh, isn't that cool? Okay, third one. Would you stand? Would you please stand? Those are in the third category, and and uh, just say it out. Here we go. Go. Man, I'm telling you, there's stories in this room. Fourth one, everybody else, I'm assuming. All you fourth people, will you go ahead and say the last one together? Go. Look around, because know this, there are stories all through this room. And part of what breaks my heart, in the first service, I wasn't even expecting it. I don't know them all. And I want to. I want to. I want to know what God's done, and so do you. Just imagine, if we would share our stories together more often, oh, how that would give us so much hope and help, wouldn't it? and express the gratefulness of what God has done and the practical reality of what he's done in our lives. We need to be that kind of people in an increasing way. There are stories in this room. Let's say so. God, I want to thank you for the time and your word together. Lord, you're good beyond good. And yet, Lord, I want to make sure that we fully understand when we talk about this topic, We're not people that just fluff over reality in some wiffle dust fairy kind of a way. We experience the pain. In fact, I think of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. (laughs) Preparing to go to the cross. And, and, And so much anguish so much pain even before it started happening that he's sweating blood. And he's calling to you, Father. Oh, if there's any way I can get out of this and step aside from this, but then not my will, your will. And the pain came to the cross. I think of Christ being mocked and beaten. dragging himself in the cross down the Via Della Rosa, having those nails pierced through his arms, pierced through his feet, for me, for each of us. Lord, he felt every ounce of the pain. But in the pain, it was all about something much bigger. So it made the pain bearable for a bigger purpose. Oh God, we need to be more like our Savior. And I would pray we would not be the kind of people that are narcissists, that when pain hits in life, oh God, I want to run. I don't want pain. I don't want problems. I don't want hassles. But Lord, your work. 
Help us to see you above it all. And God, that we would be a grateful people. Oh, may we be known as a church just filled with grateful people. Because what in the world do we have to gripe about? Oh, God. You're stunning. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray.